Thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. Good morning, Luminous. What's up this morning? Yes. All right. We're awake. We're awake. Yes, I know today was spring forward and it was hard for me to wake up this morning too. So I understand, you know, the delay and the applause. It's okay. I'm not offended. <laughs> and so my name is Austin Fontenot and I have the privilege to serve alongside Elisa Luevano. I don't know if she's in here, but her and I are campus ministers at the University of Texas, San Antonio. And so which means for us that we get to cultivate the next generation of leaders on the college campus. And so like this historically, it's just been proven that a lot of movements has happened on the college campus, some for good and obviously some for not good as well. But we, what we get to do is that we get to engage students on campus. Um, we get to establish them in the word. We get to equip them to minister. And not only that, we get to empower them to go make disciples. And so, yes, can make disciples. And so that's what we're here to do. Uh, and lastly, because of those four things, we expand. You know, God's kingdom is going to expand. And so as we reach this next generation, that we're going to be able to see them do something great, uh, do something great, and leave a legacy the same way a lot of us have left something for, for our people. And so this is a little bit of what we do on campus. And so I just want to... Uh, have this opportunity just to pray, and then we're just jumping straight in to this morning's message, all right? So, Father, I thank you for this day that you have made. You are wonderful and glorious in all your ways, Jesus. We just praise your name, and I pray that you speak through me this morning, that everything that's spoken is truth, that leads to you, that you are glorified, and that you are magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, um, a couple weeks ago, I had this opportunity to go visit a friend of mine. And as I was walking in his house, this, he just got a house recently, and as I was walking, noticing and admiring his lovely home, you know, guy stuff is like TV, posters, stuff like that, movies. Uh, but I noticed on the, the wall, the door frame of the wall, that there was these little tally marks, as well as these dates listed alongside them. Uh, I wasn't too sure if it, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it was from the person who lived there previously to him, but I'm looking at these tally marks, and I couldn't just help but remember me as a teenager, um, being a young teenager, teenager, just being completely distraught because I haven't grown, my tally marks haven't grown since I was like eight years old. And I, I, here I am, and I'm just like freaking out because all my friends you know, all my friends at that time, they're growing, and they're growing. They're hearing their growth spurt, and they're growing, and here I am sitting here. I'm growing not vertically, but horizontally. You know, I'm just gaining weight. I'm just like, man, what the heck's going on? I'm just petrified because I'm trying to figure out what can I do to fix this problem. And some of you are probably like, man, Austin, I don't believe that story because you're pretty tall right now. Thank you so much, but I'm telling you, it is a true story, okay? Uh, I still think that I'm growing. I believe I'm like, I'm going to hit six foot eventually. And so, 
But like I said, I was devastated. So I went online to try to see if I can find a means to fix my problem. You know, and this was way before uh, broadband internet. This was dial-up. And so for some of y'all, y'all know what dial-up is. It, it's, you have to have patience to just get online. You know, and so connecting to the internet was very difficult in that moment of time. And nonetheless, to try to stay on was hard too. You know, I, I used to pray and just remember just praying and hoping that no one would call the house phone because it would just disrupt the connection. You know, and so just being patient, like, all right, hopefully no one comes, calls the phone, so I can just really get a solution on this. And not only that, it was the most annoying noise. I don't know if you remember the noise. It was like, it was just terrible. So, like, not only you have to wait, now you're being annoyed by this noise that's being placed in the background. But I was so desperate to try to find a means, a way to grow I was willing to invest in herbal pills, creams, because eating, eating more didn't work, sleeping more didn't work, the exercises that the internet said to do didn't work. And so you could have told me to do anything, and I would have done it if it meant me just growing just a little bit, you know, just, just, just one inch. So for those who've never been vertically challenged, you know, you probably have never experienced some of these things I want to share with you right now. Uh, like, you know, your neck hurting from just staring at your best friend that's taller than you, you know, or just like, oh man, like just trying to get that eye contact or just trying to catch up with them as they're walking in their normal pace, right? It's like, man, like, it's like I have to kind of scurry along just to match up with how they're walking normally. Or number three, um, these children not respecting you because they think that you're one of them. <laughs> like, that's, that's an issue. That's an issue for short people. Uh, and lastly, not being able to ride rides at amusement parks because you're just one inch too short. All right. I was 16 at the time. I know, you know, I was 16 and they didn't let me ride the ride. Uh, I was old enough, but I wasn't tall enough. See? I was just not quite tall enough. I was just short of meeting the, the height requirement. And I believe that every other faith, every other religion does that. They come up short like I was. So this morning, we're going to begin this new series called Not Quite, where we're going to Spend the next three weeks dissecting John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one gets through, through to the Father except through me. I don't know about you, but this is a pretty bold claim. Either one, that Jesus, in this exclusive claim, is arrogant, and there's many ways to get to God, or two, he really is the only way. How can Christianity be so certain that he's the only way if there's roughly 4,200 other religions out there? With the top five being Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Do we live in a world like that no one likes to be told that there's only one way to do something? Because our way it's always better. 
It's always better, even though it's not right. That's why there are hundreds of ways to bake a cake. And over 177,147 ways to tie a tie. I don't know about you, but I can't even do one. I struggle spending like 10 minutes watching YouTube videos doing one. And then we see in Matthew, Jesus goes and he's speaking to his disciples. And he says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. See, this verse has nothing to do with baking cakes or tying ties, so if you feel convicted, you're okay. You're in a safe place. But it has everything to do with the way. So we can all agree that humanity is always looking for a means to improve what already exists, to make it more convenient for us. But Jesus makes it clear that they may appear to be many ways, but there's only one way, and that way is narrow, it's less traveled, and few find it. See, before I continue and talking about the way, I wanted to briefly just spend some time talking about some ways that humanity has tried to get to God. Now, you've probably seen this picture going floating around. Um, coexist, right? I don't know if you've seen on bumper stickers or T-shirts or people talking about it, this idea of coexisting with other beliefs. I see it a lot on the college campus. Uh, I hear a lot of people talk about it as well. In which each one of these letters in this word coexist represent a belief or religion in today's society. So we see Islam was represented by the crescent moon, right? They believe that Jesus uh, did not die, that someone else died in his place, and that he was just a good prophet. He's one of the 124,000 other prophets out there. And then by your works, if you do good enough works, then God will accept you and allow you to get to heaven. Next, we see this peace symbol, right? A lot of us seen that in um, Woodstock in the early 70s in that era. It's peace, love, happiness, anti-war. You see the, the E symbol for E. Uh, it stands for this, the E equals MC squared from Albert Einstein and the idea of science. And uh, we see the male and the female symbol on there as well, just showing that, you know, this, uh, this believing in the idea that man and woman has the opportunity to do kind of whatever they want in this natural standpoint uh, of this, this like uh, idea of this promoting this, feminist movement as well as this homosexuality movement as well. Then we see Judaism, represented by the Star of David, uh, in which they believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher, that the Messiah, the true Messiah, will return in the future. And the Judaism places the responsibility of salvation on the sinner himself and his ability to abide by the 613 laws that was laid left for them. And we see on the top of the eye, we see this little circle, and inside there's a, a five-point star, which represents the Wiccan and um, witchcraft. They believe in reincarnation and karma and this idea that you can believe in any other God that you want to believe in, uh, either one, two, or three. It doesn't matter what name he has, but just that you believe in one. 
Then we see the yin and yang symbol in which it's half white, half black with a, a speck of white and a speck of black in each side representing that there's a little evil and good and there's a little good and evil and that the balance between these opposing forces uh, is this what the war looks like. And not only that, that there's this dichotomous moral judgment and this idea that it's not really real. None of this is real. And lastly, we have Christianity, right? Now, Jesus is the Son of God, and this idea of the Trinity, which is three in one, and that humans cannot save themselves, but God is the only person that is good, and because of that, that he died for us and allowed us to have a relationship with him. See, coexist, it sounds amazing in theory, but the reality is it is impossible for each of these beliefs to coexist because each one of them have made exclusive claims. So Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one gets to the Father except through me. See, like I mentioned, I, I serve on, on the college campus here at UTSA, and, um, and one of my favorite things to do is evangelize. And I, if y'all don't know what that means, that means to be able to share your faith with someone and so uh, I, I get to do this a lot on campus, and it's so great because I get to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know the gospel. And so um, usually some random student, never met him before, and somehow like God puts a word on me, or I feel bold that day, and I go out and I share the gospel in one of three ways. Either the God test, which you can find outside in the connection table, the purple table outside. There's 10 questions that we ask students, and just really to, for them to see where they're at, if they even uh, where they're at with God, or two, one verse of evangelism that uses uh, this verse, which is Romans 6.23, which says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And last but not least, my testimony. It's my favorite. I love using my testimony because in Revelation 12.11, it makes it clear that we are overcome, the evil one, by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony. And I know that for some people, before I came and encountered Jesus, that whatever you shared with me in the Bible didn't mean anything to me. My concern is what can God do for me today? What can he do for me right now? And your testimony allows people to, to see that God is doing something, and he's done something in your life, and that very thing is able to be done in their life. So over the last numerous years, I've I've asked many people, you know, what is your biggest problem with Christianity? What troubles you about, trouble you about this belief and the way we practice it? And one of the most frequent answers I get can all be summed up in one word, which is exclusivity. See, I'm sure maybe some of y'all have probably heard that before, like why is Christianity so exclusive? Or maybe you even thought about it yourself. And I used to agree with that statement. I used to be like, man, like, Christianity is very exclusive. And I used to think that all religions were the same. They believe in love, right? And they believe in goodness. So they must all be the same. But however, when Jesus makes this claim that he says that I am the way, that in itself is exclusive. 
And so what I actually end up, I end up finding out was that religions only differ on the matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, and salvation, and God, which are all significant differences. Those are massive differences to say that they differ in all those things. See, this assumption that most religions are fundamentally the same and super, superficially different is far from the truth. See, most religions have superficial differences, but fundamental, well, sorry, most religions have superficial similarities and fundamental differences. See, if Christianity is the way like Jesus in the Bible claims it to be, then Jesus died, he lived a perfect life, he died the death that we should have died, and rose again, then this cannot be true with Islam that says that Jesus is his good moral teacher, a prophet, that he never died, and someone took his place. See, both of these claims cannot be true. The way is exclusive. But just because the way it's, it's exclusive, exclusive, that doesn't make it cold, it doesn't make it uncaring. The truth for Christian the truth for a Christian is personal. Jesus said that I am the way, also said that he is the truth. In other words, the way and the truth is not just a means to get to a destination, but it is a person, this person of, of Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, I know whom I have believed, not what I have believed or what I've experienced, but whom, a person that I believed in, the person of Jesus Christ. The Christianity may be exclusive in getting to the way, but it's very inclusive in the fact that it transcends through age, it transcends through social class, and it transcends through culture. So you don't have to know a certain language like some beliefs in order to understand what God is saying or have it all together, or maybe make a certain amount of money, or dress a certain way to get to God. But Jesus says to come to me as you are. See, religion says that God will love me if I change. If Austin, if you go to church more, God will love you. If you go to community groups, man, he'll love you even more. If you serve on an Ignite team at church, he will love you even more. If you pray harder, he will love you more. That's what religion says, that God will love me when I do these things. But the gospel, the person of Jesus says that his love changes me. And because of that, I'm qualified to the way. See, I don't think that we are better than every other belief out there, but I do think that we're better off. See, why is Jesus the way? Jesus is the way, one, because he said he was. But not only that, secondly, every claim that he made, he backed it up. He said that he was going to die, and then three days later that he was going to resurrect, and he actually did it. Historians uh, from a, a non-believing standpoint and a believing standpoint, archaeologists all say the same thing, that there was a man named Jesus. 
that he did live a life and he did die. And something happened to the disciples and apparently right afterwards, they, something changed and they changed their entire life and they weren't scared anymore. See, every other religion claims to know the way, but every one of them fall short because every one of their founders didn't come back. Maybe the way was just too good for them and they didn't want to come back to tell us, hey, I made it, it's great. But Jesus says, hey, there's a way and I am that way. He didn't only just claim to be the way, but then he said that he was going to prepare a place for us. And then he come personally take us there. And we see that in John 14, verses 2 to 3. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I would go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So to ask why Jesus Christ is the way, you miss the point entirely. Because Jesus doesn't compete with anybody. No one else in history made the claims that he made. No one else in history claimed to be the person to deal with the problems that we deal with, the hard issues that we deal with as humanity. No one else claimed as he did to be God with us, Emmanuel. So to say that we believe Jesus is the way should have nothing to do with arrogance and everything to do with pointing people to him. I remember several years ago as a college student um, taking a class in ethics. It covered moral theories and laws and analysis of these concepts and how they are, are in religion and how they're in laws and how they're just everyday life. See, this was the first time I ever was exposed to anything besides Christianity. And for the most part, I knew that other beliefs existed, and I didn't really know exactly what they believed in, but I knew they were around. And I just recall this lying in my bed at night, just wrestling with the idea that these other beliefs are wrong. Or maybe I was wrong in believing in Christianity. See, instead of, instead of using this opportunity to solidify my faith, I decided that I was going to be done with religion and faith all together. And I focused my energy and my time on science. As my world was crumbling down and I couldn't help the fact that my family had severe financial issues, that my dad had gotten sick, and not only that, he had a mental breakdown in which he admitted himself into a mental institution. And three months after, after being released, he tried to commit suicide multiple times. And science didn't really give me an answer on how to cope with any of these things. I was stressed out of my mind. I was depressed and completely hopeless. I was barely making ends meet. And the money that I had saved and budgeted for food 
I gave to my mom so she can pay for the, the excess amount of bills that she had to pay for. She had no idea what was going on, which meant that I didn't eat most days. I became so depressed and emotionally numb, and it wasn't too short, short after that that I, my emotional numbness was accompanied by physical numbness. And out of my mere desperation, I called out to God and asked God, if you are who you say you are, I need to see you. Not only that, I need you to change my heart. My heart's like a stone. At that time in my life, I had encountered some friends of mine that from middle school and high school that were plugged in this campus ministry called Every Nation in Austin, Texas. And as I made this claim to God, I made this ultimatum. I said, do these things. If not, I'm planning on killing myself by Friday. I plan on driving my, my car into a wall. Um, I remember the next day, my job calls me and he tells me, hey, Austin, don't worry about coming into work today. And for a man who doesn't have much money, who's trying to help provide for his family back home, when all this stuff is happening, it was the last thing I needed to hear. So I decided I was just going to watch TV. Um, the irony was I was watching the Food Network for a guy who doesn't have no food. And the thing was that maybe one day I have enough food just to make a little something. And right after that, a commercial came on. It says, 30 cents a day will come and save a starving child from this foreign country. And literally right after that, Jesus literally appears in my room. And I fall to the ground, and I start crying uncontrollably. There's this heaviness and this weight that I've never felt before, this sorrow. And he says, Austin, what you're feeling is what I feel every day when I see the world I've created. The heartbreak, the pain, the starvation, the killing, the raping. And he starts listing more things, and more things he started listing, the more I started crying and weeping. And then he recited something to me, and which I was able to get up and write down, and he just vanished. And as a, a scientist, as a, as a person who does no longer believe in God, this encounter, what, how can I attribute facts or this science? How can I explain what just happened to me? So I sit down on my desk and I write down what are the possible things that could have happened. Early that morning, I stayed up till 2 o'clock that morning and I drank heavily and I uh, experimented with some recreational drugs and so I was thinking, like, maybe these two things together are causing this hallucination. Or two, I'm just stressed out of my mind, and maybe this is a stress-induced hallucination. Or last but not least, maybe I'm crazy like my dad. A truth that I didn't want to accept, but I have to write down every variable that can explain what just happened to me. I had a friend who was part of that ministry, who lived in that same apartment complex. I decided I was going to go to her house. But as I'm going to her house, I'm thinking to myself, I don't want her to know what just happened. Because if she knows what just happened, then she may make me this poster child for this Christianity thing that I don't even believe in. So I decided I'm going to do small talk and try to talk to her a little bit. And then I, eventually I had asked her, I was like, hey, do you know what this means? And she says, yes. She said, it's a Bible verse. And it was a thing that I wrote down that Jesus had told me and I, that I wrote down. And she starts flipping. She stops in Ezekiel 36, 26. And the verse reads that, and I will give you a new heart 
a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And your desires will no longer be your desires, that they will become my desires. See, my prayer the day before was one, God show up, and two, change my heart because my heart's like a stone and is numb. See, after I left her apartment, I was shocked because I can explain an hallucination, but I cannot explain how I was able to write something I've never seen before, something I never heard before. So the reality is, one, either one, I can continue to live my life that I was, the way I was living that wasn't working out to me, for me too well, or two, I can really accept this person of Jesus and explore who he really is. Because I had imposed these flaws of humanity on this perfect God based upon what I seen other humans and Christians say that they were going to do but never really accomplished. See, that was September 17, 2007, nearly nine years ago. See, the way is this not a means to a destination, but the way is a person. A person in which I encountered on that day. See, the gospel makes it clear that God saw humanity trying to get to him. And he knew it was impossible for us to reach it, to reach him and have a relationship with him because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. So he humbled himself and became a man. Just to think about that for a little bit, he became a man. That the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, the creator of everything that we know to be, became a man, and then he dwelt amongst us. He felt emotional pain as people rejected him. He felt physical pain as he was severely beaten and hung on the cross for us. He felt fatigue and hunger. See, this God, he lived this, this perfect life that you and I should have lived. And then he died the death that you and I should have died, a sinner's death. And on the third day rose again, saying that any one of you who should believe in me will have eternal life. See, Jesus Christ is not only the way. He's, he's only the way in every other faith just comes up short. They get close, but they're not quite there. See, I don't know about you, but I'd rather commit my life to this belief in Jesus who understands me, who can say, hey, I don't, I've not only created you, but I dwelt among you and I understand you, and I'm saying that I am the way to the Father. And I believe that today, that this morning, this Sunday, there are people in this place that have been looking for the way. And it felt hopeless. So if you mind standing with me this morning, as we pray, and we ask Jesus the way to help us, to guide us, to teach us. With every eyes closed, with every eye closed, If that's you, if you are you feeling hopeless and striving to find a way and striving to get to God, but if it's never said, Jesus, I'm willing to accept you, explore you, will you please lift your hand? Awesome. Keep your hand up, please. Secondly, 
if you were like me, that you knew God, that you knew of him, but you never submitted your life to him, that you never submitted or accepted him, would you please lift your hand this morning? Great. Father, I thank you that you see these hands that are raised, that you've seen their pain, that you've seen their struggle, you see them searching. God, we just ask that you come the same way you came to me, Father. We know that you're a personal God, that you seek and desire your children. God, we thank you that you are the way, that you paid the price that allows us to come to you, God. So, Father, I, I just pray over these hands, God. I just thank you for who you are and what you're doing in these lives. God, and I just are amazed by who you are. Because it's only through you that we're able to, to find a means to the Father. So Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we give Austin a big hand this morning? Let's give God a big hand this morning. God, we love you. We praise you this morning. Man, I'm so proud of this guy. If you don't know this guy, you need to meet this guy, this, this young man. Say young, you're not that much younger than me, bro. <laughs> hey, this, this man is on the campus every day, every day sharing his testimony, that story that he just shared with you this morning. He's out there sharing it with multiple other students, and actually they've, they've identified and they've heard that story. They, they, um, they've responded to the gospel. It's just amazing what Austin and Elisa are doing on the campus and the campus ministry, and, and, uh, and I'm thankful that Austin was so vulnerable with us this morning. Are you thankful, church? Man, that's amazing. Hey, just a quick reminder before you leave, grab your card and fill it out. And you may be from Dallas, Texas, and you may be wondering, man, why? Why do they want me to fill this out? Because we want you to come Sunday, five hours from Dallas. <laughs> hey, attend one, serve one. My wife, Brandy, she's attending the 1020, and she's serving 9 a.m. in the nursery. And so maybe you've never served anywhere before. We'll give you enough resources for you to serve that Sunday, to help out, to love kids, to serve in the cafe and hospitality and all those things. You can hand this to an usher on your way out this morning. Hey, we love you. We can't wait to see you for next week. Not quite. Have a great day. If you need prayer for anything, there's prayer workers up here at the altar. Please get prayer this morning, especially if you responded to this message. Have a great day. We love you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To find out more about service times, giving, and community groups that meet throughout the week, please visit us online at luminouschurch.org.